When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. John Cooper is the frontman of the multi-platinum band Skillet. He's also a podcast host and an author. And today we're going to be talking about his new book, Wimpy, Weak, and Woke. John, so good to have you on Takeaways, man. What's up? Good to be here in person, man. John, there's so many things I'd love to talk about. Your music, um, we've talked about my son is such a big fan of Skillet and, and all the stuff that you do. But you've got this great new book out that is mildly offensive in its title. Wimpy, Weak, and Woke. Yeah, C- could you have picked any more inflammatory words than those three <laughs> words for this book? Why did you call it that? Because it's the best way to say it. We have become so wimpy and so weak and so woke that it, I, I think that it's really affected the way w- we see the whole gospel. So let me tell you, let me give you the definition so people are just upset and they wonder what it is. Before you do, yeah. are you t- when you say we, do you mean men? Are you talking about the church? Are you talking about America? Who are you, who are you saying is, is weak, wimpy, and woke? I, well, I'm mainly talking about an ideology that has certainly affected America, certainly has affected the church, certainly has affected men, but I'm really talking about an ideology that has changed the way that, that we see Christianity. Here's what I mean. We are wimpy as Christians because we have traded winsomeness for truth. We thought that we got to be winsome over everything. We have to be nice over everything. And it has caused us to be so wimpy that we don't even think that actually, we don't even want to tell people what Jesus thinks about something because we, we feel like we're having to apologize for the Bible all the time. I see this all the time online. Or my conversations with Christians, they say, yeah, but you don't really want to say that because what that's going to do is push people away. And I go, yeah, but that's how the Bible says it. So it sounds like what we're getting into is that people feel they have to apologize for the, the character of God. So one of the things I said recently about like the Christian music industry, for instance, there's a lot of people who are unashamed to say the name of Jesus, but they are ashamed of the character of Jesus. And that's a real tragedy because what it means is you're judging the holiness of God, which is bad. So we are weak philosophically and we are weak. Uh, we don't read our Bibles. But we don't read anything else either. We just kind of come to our own conclusions about things. And what that mm. has caused us to do is to basically say, there's a certain number of things that the Bible gives me answers about, like salvation, what happens to my soul after I die. But there's a whole bunch of other things that we don't need to consult the Bible about. Let's just go to the world. The world will tell us how to parent, how to raise our kids, how to do education, sex, gender, politics, n- you name it. That's why we've become uh, weak philosophically. What woke means is this. A lot of people got mad at me and said, John, you know, caring about the poor is biblical. Why are you being so mean? I said, of course, caring about the poor is biblical. Whoever said it wasn't. Caring about the poor is something that we do because it's a command of God. That's something that you do because we are saved by grace. And now God says, okay, now you go and you give to the world. That's not what being woke is. Here's how I define woke. Being woke is PC culture on steroids. And what it does mm. is, is you look through the world now through a lens of victimhood, oppressors and oppressed people. And what it does is that you end up creating new categories. So what the Christian does, because we don't study, 
is that we hear what the world says, and the world says, that person's oppressed, and then we go, well, Jesus says I'm supposed to help the oppressed, so I'm going to help whoever the world tells me is oppressed. Mm. And basically, to give people an example of that, meat on the bones, if I may, um, meat on the bones would be this. If you're wondering why, why you have high school boys, uh, young men, who identify as girls, and then they say, okay, they want to play on the girls' basketball team or something like that. All of that is, is because the world has said that those boys, like you know, trans-identifying kids, uh, they're oppressed. They don't, have, they don't have equal outcomes as these girls. The girls get to play. Well, why can't the boys play on their team? And they create these new divisions of oppression because the boy who identifies as a girl is a minority. So we have to fight for them. But if you read the Bible, you should understand that there are categories for biblical justice. And being woke means that you do away with those categories. Mm. And then you look at the whole world through these secular usually they're Marxist-inspired categories, and you end up in chaos. That's what Wimpy, Weak, and Woke is about. In your book, you say that we are in a war between two gods. We have the true God of the Bible and the false God of secular humanism, or, or, or s some version of secular humanism. Um, wh what do you mean by that? There's going to be a totalizing kingdom. <laughs> there's going to have to be. Um, there's an author that I like called E. Stanley Jones, um, and he, he's dead now, but he wrote a, a really great book called The Unshakable Kingdom and the Unchanging Person. And I can't remember the quote fully, but the quote is basically saying that Christ's kingdom has to be a totalizing kingdom or else it's no kingdom at all. Because what you're saying is, is there's a sliver of society that Jesus is not Lord over. Well, who, who's going to be Lord over that? I wouldn't mind giving you, a, if I may, a uh, a picture that I use in the book, I borrowed this from uh, theologian Francis Schaeffer. So, but I, I kind of, I mess with his model a little bit, but he gives us this model of a two-story building. And I changed his model, but how I changed it is to say, pretend that the second floor is heaven and the, and the first floor is earth. And so heaven are, is gonna be dealing with what happens after you die. Uh, my personal piety, you know, my relationship with God, my walk with the Lord. Those are the things that, that Christ is Lord of. But then you have the, the downstairs, which is earth. That's my marriage and my, my, my sexuality, finances. my finances, you name it. All the things we do on a day-by-day -day basis. It's, it's in these two floors. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And basically what I think has happened in the church is that the church, instead of saying that Christ is Lord of both floors, I believe we're in this, this, this real form of uh, polytheism where we said Christ can be the Lord of the upstairs, but we're going to let man be the Lord of the downstairs. We're going to let Karl Marx tell us how to run the economy. We're going we're gonna to let atheistic people like Freud tell us how to define who I am as what is my identity as a human being? We don't need to go to the Bible for that. We'll go to Freud for that. But as we know, um, you can't serve two masters. You'll hate the one and love the other. That's what the Bible right. says. And that's why I think this clash is happening. And, and somebody's going to win. 
Either Christ is going to win or, or this atheistic tyranny is going to win to try to engineer the perfect society. And that takes us to the 2020s. That's why we're in what we're in right now is because we are allowing man to sort of engineer his version of mm-hmm. utopia, which is, of course, dystopia. You're saying utopia is, in fact, dystopia. So what, what does utopia mean? I, I think most of us have a real general understanding of that, that utopia is happiness, it's heaven, it's the perfect society. <laughs> right. Yeah, you know, I think I'll start like this because I know I've been talking about a lot of philosophical things, and they might seem abstract, and a lot of people don't like that. They go, I, uh, what do you mean? H- here's what we mean. If you woke up in the 2020s, and, and somebody watching, and you went, I don't understand how we're locked down for months at a time, and we have no idea if we're ever going to not be locked down, and I don't understand why they're allowing people to go to BLM rallies, but they're not allowing me to go to church. Do you just name it? Why they're saying I, I'm forced to get a jab or I might lose my job? Um, why you have people in the government now saying, you, the parent, do not have the right to raise your kids. That's not up to you. That's up to us, the government. All these things are changing because they are, they are trying to engineer the perfect society. That's all utopia means. Utopia is basically engineered society where everybody has equity. Everybody gets the same stuff. And utopia is supposed to be this perfected world. Everybody has the same amount of money. Everybody has the same amount of everything. And no one suffers. But as the individual, you have to surrender your rights, your individualism, Mm. your your parenting. You say, oh, my kids don't belong to me. They belong to the state. You have to give it to the state. And the state ends up growing bigger and bigger and bigger because they have to engineer all of these outcomes. So the perfect world of utopia has, you know, euthanasia, abortion, all these kind of things that are actually, you know, very much death. So in the book, I say Christ comes to give us not just life, but life abundantly. Utopia gives us death abundantly, but they do it in the name of, of justice. This stuff is deep. This stuff is heavy, and it's worth watching and rewatching uh, to understand all of these concepts that, that, that John's sharing with us right now. Um, some might say, well, utopia or where, you know, everybody has equal, equal outcomes still sounds like a good idea that kind of sounds like heaven. You're saying it's not going to turn out that way. Well, Jesus talked about life abundant. He said, Lord, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Some people might think of that as a bit of a Christian utopia. So can you contrast for us, what is the difference between utopia, secular, understood secularly, and the gospel of the kingdom, Mm. the rule of Christ on the earth? What's what's the differentiating factors between those? I'm so glad you asked. This is probably my, my favorite point. The reason being, I want people to know, because I was really struggling with this because I, I believe in the gospel of the kingdom and I believe that the kingdom of God starts as a mustard seed and it grows and it grows. And the Bible says that righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit is the kingdom of God. And I was struggling going, well, wait a minute. You know, BLM is saying they want justice. I want justice. So we're using a lot of the same words. Yeah. I think a lot of Christians have begun to swallow utopianism, which is secular and said, the kingdom of God, utopia, aren't we just talking about the same thing? No, utopia plus Jesus equals the kingdom of God, and that is absolutely not the same. We see it just in outcomes. That's a great way to say it, just in outcomes. There is no way that we can ever live in a world where everybody has the exact same things, even just based on the word of God. 
because we know that covenant law keeping leads to covenant blessing. What about people just continue to break God's covenant law over and over? I'm going to be lazy. I'm not going to um, get married to one woman. I'm going to sleep around and have a whole bunch of illegitimate kids, not parent any of these kids, and then expect those children to be to, to have the, the blessings of having a mom and a dad. There's no mm. way to create that. And what it does is it, it ignores the fact that God says, here are the things that you can do that will lead to blessing. And if you deny those things and you reject those things, it's going to lead to the opposite. It's going to lead to chaos. It's going to be really, really bad. John, we've, we've been talking about utopia. We've been talking about Karl Marx. We've been talking about the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, th this is fascinating stuff. Do you think that there's any hope for America and for the kingdom of God on earth? What, what is your vision for the future of this country? We know there's hope. And the Bible gives us that. You know, if we will repent to the Lord and we come back to our first love, we know he will heal our land. And I wrote it in the book. And I'd just like to say it if I can real fast, which is this, that God created a moral universe that coincides to his moral law. And so when we obey God's commands, you're, you're in the flow of, of the world he created. Imagine how strange it would be if the natural order, the created order was like this. You can only produce children in a same-sex relationship. Do you know what I mean? So let's just say that only a man and a man or a woman and a woman could produce children. And then God gives us his moral law and he says, man should not lay down with another man as he lays with a woman. Well, if that were to happen, then what we would be looking at was God saying, okay, I've created a world to work in a certain way, but the only way to please me is to go against the laws of the universe. That would be really bizarre, right? Well, what God does is he says, I created a moral universe. It's supposed to work in a certain way in two plus two equals four and man and a woman join together and that's how you produce offspring. Then he gives us a moral law to obey. And when we obey that moral law, we find out well, things go, go pretty good. And when you raise your children and you understand that there is only male and female, well, then you don't have all the, this confusion that's in our world right now with gender confusion and sexuality. And we have to believe in absolute truth again, or we're in a, just a postmodern world. And you can believe whatever you want to believe. There is no truth. And that's what it, we, we end up with in chaos. So what I found is that even a lot of Christians now are trying to nuance everything to death to say, well, the Bible says this. When I read the Bible, I find out there's a lot of binaries. I, find, I see God saying, I put before you today life and death. Choose, choose who you want to obey. I, I want you to choose life. And you know, if you choose the path of, of Christ, well, you get life. And if you don't, you get death. So we can really choose any aspect you want. Parenting, um, we talked about politics, uh, your kids at school, raise, how, how are you going to raise your kids? Yeah. How to treat your wife? how to treat your husband. And the Bible is going to give you a way. So I think the first thing we have to do to promote flourishing and life in this country is to realize that Jesus Christ has something to say about every single aspect. His kingdom is a totalizing kingdom. Otherwise, what it means is I have this one sliver of my heart that I say, I don't want to know what Jesus has to say about that. I want to know what the world has to say. So that's part number one. And we can talk about the practical things but that's sort of the overview of what I'm trying to do in the book. I so agree with what you're saying. And this is, is a, an idea that needs to be recaptured by the church. 
uh, because we have gotten away from that with this this two story idea of God and what He is in charge of, and then down here, you know, we we won't really care too much about what He says about mathematics and history and English and what I watch on television or the kind of clothes I wear or the food I eat. Uh, but like you said, every square inch of Earth, God looks at and says, "Mine." Yes. Every thought in my mind, God looks at and says, that needs to be brought um, you know, under the authority of Christ. Because if it's not, well, then somebody else is going to be in charge of those things, yes. as you said. And, and that's where we start setting up idols. And that's where we, 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 we jump the rails. A lot of Christians hear that and they go, yeah, I think you're right. I think that's probably God's best way. Not necessarily his only way. In other words, if I don't do it, it's not the end of the world. But I do agree that's God's best way. What Christians have not understood is that if you say, I'm not going to do God's way, it's not just that you're not doing the best thing, it's going to go really, really bad. Man wants to set himself up as a rival against God. You know that worship song, you have no rival. That's my favorite line of the song. He has no rival, but man says, I, I want to be your rival. And so what happens is that man ends up doing these ideas that seem like really good ideas to him, but guess what? They absolutely lead to death. We have to be able to reach perfection with our own good ideas. It does not allow for the fact that we are born into sin. We're born into sin and we act just like our father, mm. Adam. We want to be a rival against the Lord and we end up doing really terrible things, which is why Jesus died for us and he, he wants to transform us, of course. We love thinking about these things, talking about these things. And there, there were those brilliant men who came before us. And I'm thinking of one named Noah Webster, who, who echoed what you're saying on the positive side from the dystopian, Marxist, utopian ideas that every civil government is based on some kind of religion or philosophy of life. Mm. And the education of the nation will propagate the religion of the nation. Yes. And in America, he said that religion was Christianity. And it was sown into the American people in the home and in the schools and in the church for two centuries. And our growth, our liberty and prosperity are the result of a biblical way of life. And he said, our future freedom and success depends on educating our people in the principles of Christianity. So that's exactly what you're saying. You do things God's way. It works together with his created world. It all flows toward blessing. Yes. But when we take Christianity out of the schools, we take prayer out of schools, we take the Ten Commandments out of the courthouses, and all of a sudden you tell people that Christianity is not even allowed in a nation that was built on Christian principles, and now you've hijacked the whole thing, and now liberty itself is going to destroy what produced it. That last line is so brilliantly put, and that's exactly right. You know, I think that the Christian influence culture, I call it, the, the, the pastors that are very popular with that, with the young people, they have sort of moved into the anti-American camp, and they have moved into the, we have a separation of church and state camp, and my question is, is why? Why, are they, why do they believe that this great country where we have freedom, where we have all these blessings, right? Where, hey, if you hate Jesus, you're still free in America. We don't put you to death. Why do they think that this is the default? 
that this is just gonna be, well, this is just what everybody would have because everybody agrees about justice. No, we don't. And I would challenge those pastors and I would say, if you think there's a separation from church and state, do you not notice that right now we are being ruled by a religion? It's just a secular religion. You know, it's one of the things they always say, oh, are you saying that you would want a Christian nation and then you would, what do they call it? You'd want blasphemy laws? I said to a pastor recently, I said, well, we have blasphemy laws right now. You cannot misgender somebody at your work. You can't, you have to sign LGBTQ things at your work or you're going to lose your job. Now, maybe you're not being put in prison yet. There are civil penalties uh, on certain things for parents who don't, uh, what do they call that, affirm their, their child if, if their child is, you know, wants to, to transition or this. There are civil penalties. We're not that far from that. So we do have, we have cultural blasphemy laws as it stands right now. And so, yes, I do think rediscovering the fact that America's, American values are, are largely biblical values. God tells us how to live and you will be blessed when you do those things. In fact, you'll be blessed when you do those things, whether you actually bow your knee to Jesus Christ or not, mm, because they are right. woven into the laws of creation. That's right. You tell the truth. You don't steal. You love your wife. You're not coveting things that belong to other people. Um, you're going to do well because that's how God made his world. That's you're right. You're living in his world, whether you believe in him or not. And I believe the more you do those things and you find out that you're in the flow, we, uh, I call it being in the flow of if you call it being the flow of, of the laws of creation or the flow of the kingdom, I think if you are, you are in the flow of the kingdom, it proves that God's word is true, which is also what God said in the Old Testament, right? He said, do these things, you're gonna be blessed, and then you're gonna be a light to the other nations. John, what's something simple that anybody watching us right now could do at home, uh, wherever they are? You know, They're not a rock star, they're not an actor, they're not a politician or a pastor, but that they could start to do to make a positive difference. Aside from understanding these things, well, what, could, what could they do? The number one thing we have to do is train your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. It is, there is nothing more important than raising little, you know, they call them, sometimes they call it little platoons, I'm sure you when you read, little platoons of families that serve God. Every family should be a little church of its own. That's what Spurgeon said a little church of its own, and you train your children in Christian worldview that Christ owns everything. And before you know it, you've got an army of platoons doing what we said earlier. They are splashing out onto the rest of the world. And I mean, I'll tell you what, here's the thing. If you look at the church, you see rates of pornography use and divorce and all these other things. They're not really all that different from the world. So why don't we get ourselves together? I think the reason we're dealing with this is the church is letting it happen. So we do it in our platoons, and all of a sudden the world will look and say, well, how come you're not addicted to pornography? How come your marriage is intact? How come your kids uh, behave and, and are, are flourishing? Say, because of the word of God. That's the number one thing we have to do. Hi, I'm Kirk Cameron. Thanks for listening to this episode of Takeaways. If you love the conversations that we're having, please follow or subscribe to this podcast to never miss any of this great content. And please consider leaving a positive rating and a review to help others like you discover this show.